I just want to start with prayer and, and then we'll jump in. We have some good stuff to talk about tonight. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for inviting us into this place with you, inviting us into communion with you, Lord, fellowship, the joy of being in this in this uh, this mutual circle of, of self-giving love. And Lord, we just receive what you have for us and we also give as well. Thank you, Lord. Let's just sit here for just for a moment. Just The, the Spirit's moving in, in, in this room. Let's just receive what else he has for us. do that another 20 minutes probably there's been nothing sweeter for me in this recent season as this um, ability to just sit still before the Lord and just not do anything but be in his presence just abide with him and I'm, I'm from a, an upbringing and a kind of a spiritual tradition where it's a, it was about mainly it was a lot about discipline I'm not I'm not saying this pejoratively but it was about discipline and and doing good things and not doing bad things. Uh, but it's hard for me to just be still and know that he's the Lord. It's hard for me to just sit still in the presence of God without going, do you want me to do something, God? Or what should I be doing right now? Or, And um, my friend Dale Griffin tells a story of a dog he had, Buddy. I'm, I'm pretty sure the dog's name was Buddy. Mike knows Dale, but he doesn't remember the dog. And he said he was having this awful day. Dale was... And he came home, and all he wanted to do was just sit and hold Buddy. And, uh, and Buddy came running up with a tennis ball. And he's like, hey, I know what to do. You throw this. I'll chase it. I'll bring it back. You pat me on the head. We do it again. And, uh, and Dale's like, no, I don't want to play, Buddy. I just want to be with you. And then he picks up the ball and drops it at his feet again, and the whole thing keeps going. And he hears himself saying, Buddy, I just want to be with you. I just want to sit still with you. And, uh, and then he heard the Lord say, yes, son, that's what I want. I want to just sit still with you. I don't want you to go chase a ball. I don't want you to go do things for me. I want you to just abide with me, abide in my presence, receive from me. So I'm, I'm just, this is not the lesson tonight, but I just want to throw that out. Take every opportunity to do that. You know, they talk about getting up and stretching in the workplace to keep your blood circulation going. More important than that is, is hitting the pause button and just being aware of the presence of God and that communion, that, that constant communion that you have with him. Amen. All right. So the final episode, the final gathering for Kingdom School for this semester, um, and you have your handout. And what we've done is on the front of your booklet is just one, uh, one spot with all the, the cultural values. I'm going to tell you what that is in just a minute. 
And then as we go into the booklet, there are places for notes, and I'm gonna break this down a little bit more, but I'm gonna explain what this is. Um, there we go, thanks, John. Um, but I wanna first say, before I do that, uh, I'm so pleased at the depth of anointing and gifting we have on our worship team. Like so many different people, they can get up and lead us into the presence of God. Can y'all give them a hand for their hard work? And, yeah, thank you guys. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Rob, and uh, any other worship team members in the room. Thank y'all for what you guys do. So cultural values, let me tell you about this. About uh, just over a year ago, I began listening to a podcast by a man named Craig Groeschel. Anybody know that name? Uh, he's a pastor in Tulsa, and he has a, a church called Life Church, Life.Church. And, and he's, he's, it's actually the fastest growing church in America. Church plants popping up all the time. And he has a leadership podcast. I think it's just called the Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. And if you're a podcast listener, I strongly uh, recommend it. And if you're not listening to podcasts, what are you doing in rush hour traffic in Albuquerque? <laughs> Redeem that time. And so uh, anyway, I started listening to him and uh, his podcast. He's a pastor and of course he's, um, he loves Jesus and walks with Jesus, but his podcast is specifically designed to talk about leadership principles and that kind of thing. And he started talking in one of his episodes about values, about cultural values. And he says, uh, every, every organization, whether they define them or articulate them or not, has values. They have cultural values, okay? For example, let me compare and contrast two fast food restaurants, uh, Carl's Jr. and Chick-fil-A, okay? You might go, whoa, those are opposite ends of the spectrum, you know? You have a devil on one shoulder and a, an angel on the other. Then this one's eating Carl's Jr. and this one's eating Chick-fil-A. Um, and you can, you can even look at their, uh, their culture. You can look at the, what their, um, even their founders and the people, the executives, the values that they espouse. And I'm not going to go into that, but you notice things like the Carl's Jr. It's more about um, edgy marketing and kind of racy ads and stuff like that. And really abominations of menu items like... Um, it's, it's, about, it's about creating the most incredibly crazy and audacious thing, whereas Chick-fil-A is like, no, we're going to be simple, we're going to be humble, we're going to be, you know, down-home kind of appeal, and, uh, you know, they're marked by amazing customer service, they're marked by family values, they're marked by, you know, being closed on Sunday, all those, all those different things. Um, Carl's Jr. had something on the menu one time, uh, it was an ice cream sandwich, which was two Pop-Tarts stuck over a big slab of strawberry ice cream. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing, but I'm not gonna have it. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Um, but you can look at these, these different organizations and you go, yeah, there's definitely a certain vibe or, or atmosphere that you even notice when you walk into those places. Well, in the same way, churches have that. And tonight I wanted to talk about um, the culture of values at New Life City and I want to say at the, at the forefront that we don't think we have the, we're the only ones doing it right uh, or that we have the secret recipe or anything like that. We just feel like this is what the Lord has put on, on our hearts. And I, when I say we, I do throw myself in the mix, even though uh, obviously Alan and Gail were, were the visionaries along with Errol and some of the other original folks that were here. Um, and they said, this is the kind of church we want. These are the things we're going to go after. Now, if you look in your uh, booklet on the first page, 
Uh, it talks about culture and the definition of culture being two things. Culture of an organization consists of two things. One, what you create, and two, what you allow. Okay? So what you create and what you allow. The, the things that you create are the things you're intentional about. Okay? But then, uh, like we're going to do this, you know, Chick-fil-A, we're going to be courteous. We're going to say my pleasure every time someone says thank you. I didn't notice that for the longest time. And then I'm like, every time I say thank you, they say my pleasure. And I realized they're probably trained to do that. And so that's the value of theirs. Um, so that's, those are the things you create. Then there's what you allow. What are you okay with happening and what are you not okay with happening in your organization and in your culture? And so we'll talk about that. Basically, these seven items that we, we came up with, and I'll tell you about the genesis of that in a second, but these are, are, and this is not a comprehensive list of the things that we think are important by any means. There are other things, of course, that we value and think are important. But these are the things we think when people come to New Life City, these are the, the hallmarks that they most readily identify and the ones that we want to be known by, the ones that kind of give us some distinction uh, if people are looking for a particular kind of church home or church family. All right, so, so when I heard this podcast and I said, we have cultural values, and um, I think it would be beneficial for us to art articulate them. So I went to the staff and I first went to Alan and I said, what do you think about me working on these? and just getting feedback. You know, like this wasn't gonna be my thing where I was gonna come up with everything. I was gonna get the ball rolling, but I solicited the input of the other staff pastors and, and even some, some of the people that have been a part of New Life City for a while had some conversations with some folks. And What do you think of when you think of New Life City? What stands out to you? Even some conversations with, um, with church, church folks that have been coming, even in, in, in more recent times. And um, so I, we, we kind of came up with this general list and we went we worked on the language language is very important and uh, I'm an English major but my emphasis was creative writing so you should be you should be wary of me because I make stuff up <laughs> I, I very confidently make stuff up so and you won't know what's made up no I'm just kidding I'm an honest person but uh, I didn't want to be the one making stuff up I just wanted to, to be able to put language to the things that I believe as we read through these, you're going to go, yeah, I know, I, I've known that about New Life City for a long time. Um, and now in recent days, in our Newcomer Foundations class, we've been way more intentional about telling people. In fact, I think probably the last two or three of these Foundations classes, uh, we've gone over the values with the, with the newcomers and told them the things that, um, that we really focus on. But that's the, uh, that's the, the preface, really, and... What we were trying to do was get a booklet ready for, for tonight, but uh, we got a little bit behind the ball. And when it came down to it, um, I gave. Uh, what happened was um, last year I sat down with Alan, and I, I just put up, pulled out my phone, hit record on the voice memo, and we had an hour-long conversation where I asked him some questions, read the values to him, and he just basically extemporaneously talked about why those things were important. And then I went back and I, I sat down and edited as, as I went, gave it back to Alan. He made some suggestions, some changes, added some stuff. And, and eventually we're gonna have a booklet that we can have readily available. We'll have it available to whoever wants one, but also it's something we can give out at the foundations class and give out to newcomers as well. Um, and so this has been through a process of discussion and revision and all that kind of stuff for quite a while. Um, so here you go. This is the first official formal presentation of it to the whole church.
So you guys are on the forefront, yeah. All right. All right, so uh, the first value that we have is we are people of spirit and word. We're people of spirit and word. And under each of these values, I have scripture verses that, uh, they're not the only scripture verses that talk of these values, but these are the ones that we highlighted, I, I, I highlighted. And one of the things we want to have in the booklet is these scriptural references so people know, like, we're not just making this up. Obviously, being people of word, we want to use the word. We want to refer to the word. We want to show where those foundations are found in the word, in the word of God. Okay, so um, what I'm going to do as I talk through each of these values is I have the, uh, the transcript of the interview. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I, I've highlighted a few different spots under each value of my conversation with Pastor Allen that I'll read uh, of, of what he said to go in more depth into, into these values. Um, so you can read through these scriptures. Let me, I think I'm able to get through all this stuff in, in the allotted time. So let me just touch on these real quick. Uh, people of spirit and word. John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then we have scriptures about the word. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. And your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path, Psalm 119, verse 105. Now, um, it might sound funny to some of us to have to say we're people of spirit and word. Uh, but there are churches, there are denominations or groups of people that identify themselves as, you know, even the old, the old term sola scriptura and the, the strong emphasis on, on the Bible. And, um, and you've heard the joke of the, the people who believe in uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy, the Holy Bible. Uh, that's the Trinity. Um, and so what you find, and one of the things that I've always marveled at and thought was a, a beautiful blend at New Life City is a church that came together with two different backgrounds, essentially. It drew a lot of people, but basically you had a seed group from a Baptist, Southern Baptist denomination and a seed group from a vineyard denomination coming together to find the Lord together, seek the Lord together, worship Him together, uh, commune with Him together, and figure things out as they, as they went. And so I've, I always say when I talk to people about New Life City, if they've not heard of us, I say, I love that we're from the Baptist heritage. We have just such a high, rich value for the scriptures and the word and strong biblical teaching. And from the vineyard, uh, from the vineyard expressions and heritage, we have, we have a, such a high value for the presence of God, for encountering the Lord, uh, richness and worship, all these things. And to have those things come together, it's just a, it's a supernatural hybrid and it's a beautiful thing. And so being those people of spirit and word, we find is absolutely essential. Um, Alan says, I knew I wanted both the presence of the Holy Spirit and his gifts and a very determined emphasis on the word of God. What I'm trying to achieve now is to say, in the intersection of order and chaos is freedom, 
And in that freedom, we often experience the presence of God. So I'm willing to keep the church in tension of knowing what's going to happen, but also knowing God can break in on us and change the plan. When he does, it's not as though it's never happened. These two things are vital. We want the presence of God, and we want to teach the word. What the word does is it sets things in order. But what the spirit does is it sets us in order. He does it by manifesting his power in us in a way that overwhelms us. So we're word and spirit, and the church can't live without both. I really have come to love the idea of chaos as the balance to order. One is not good and the other bad. Both are absolutely necessary. I, I, I completely agree with that. I, that really bears witness with my spirit, as I, as, even as I heard him say it and as I read it. So uh, Alan came out of a, a, a long tradition of the word, the word emphasis type of, of uh, doing church. And he says this, it became clear to me at that time that to be a teacher of the Bible for 25 years with a very low emphasis on the Holy Spirit meant that I was doing an edited reading of the Bible. It meant I had a set of glasses on me that let me read over what I didn't experience without judging myself. And when I began to experience more prophecy, tongues, healing, and miracles, I began to say, that's all over the Bible. How did I miss it? It made me understand that we're all, we all come to the Bible with an edited lens. We have to at least acknowledge the lens we're reading through. That actually makes the venture of studying the Bible a greater venture because you ask, what is undiscovered? What is unexplored? What is unnoticed? The Spirit has actually enhanced the Word and has illuminated the Word to a higher degree. Um, so then, you know, as we as we talked about the uh, kind of the contrast between these two, and I, I'll, I'm standing here today saying I have a, a very similar story to Alan's. I was born and raised in the Southern Baptist Church, licensed and ordained Baptist minister, um, and I started to step into the things of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. Um, years back, I remember my first encounter at, was at a conference in Denver in 2000, and uh, I think it was 2000, yes, and um, or 2001, because Maggie was a little baby and she was born in 2000. And I remember going to this conference, and they were crazy. You know what they look like? This place on Saturday night or Sunday morning, and I was like, "What are what are the flags about? Why is that lady on the ground? What what is he laughing about? What's funny here? I'm not, I don't see what's funny. What are they? Why are they painting over here? What's going on? Why are they doing laps around the auditorium? You know that whole thing." And man, I was I was hardcore in in judgment mode. And of course, I was going through my. I have, and I think a lot of people who come from like a word heritage have a, a Rolodex of you know like how to respond to this, like, okay, this is not an order. This is not decent. I know what the Bible says about this. And I would, you know, just kind of judge that stuff. And I remember the Lord saying to me, as I'm staring at a woman rolling on the floor going, that's not God. I, of course, didn't say it out loud, but I'm just staring at her going, that's not God. And it's like the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and said, what that is, is between me and her. So how about you and me? Uh, get together. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, um, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And wow, by the end of that weekend, um, I just encountered the Lord in so many new, profound ways. I've got a prophetic word spoken over me that reduced me to a, you know, a, a bawling mass on the floor. Um, had people pray for me, uh, started prophesying. Like, I'm sitting in a hotel room with my my one of my spiritual fathers, Tom, 
and we're talking with some other people in the room, and he says, he starts prophesying over this young woman, and he turns to me and he says, what are you, what are you hearing from the Lord? And I just opened my mouth and I said some things about her grandmother. I didn't even know if she had a grandmother. And she's like, wow, that's amazing. I live with my grandmother and, and she raised me and that's exactly what, and my eyes just get real big. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, this is something that's not my doing and this is of the Lord. And we all have testimonies like that where we stepped into trusting the Lord and finding out what there is um, the more that he has for us, that he can't be he can't be limited by certain parameters that we put on him. Alan says, if you're highly ex experiential, you might be less willing to judge your experiences by the word. A person that visits New Life City has as much discomfort as a I'm sorry, a person like that has, that visits New Life City has as much discomfort as a person who only emphasizes the word. I think it's actually harder for someone who has experiences to have someone else come along and say, you have only a slender shred of evidence that your experience is something we should aspire to. The scriptures are plain that we do judge experiences, but if you remember, one of the most notable things in the scripture is the Acts 15 account, where the disciples could not discern clearly from the word what God was doing with the Gentiles, and without the added clarity of the presence of the Spirit in their lives, I'm not sure they'd have been able to see it. It wasn't until they began to say that the Gentiles were experiencing the Holy Spirit that they saw the scriptures supporting it. In Acts 15, 16 through 18, Peter quotes Amos' prophecy that the Lord would rebuild David's fallen tabernacle. That's not talking about rebuilding an edifice. That's about reopening, the, reopening for everyone what had once been open to everyone, the accessible presence of God in the tabernacle. All that is to say experience is necessary, but you can't have one without the other. It's gotta be experience and scripture, and the word of God, right? All right, we're going to do fine. It's uh, value number two, which says we are family. I have that here. Jesus brought us into his family and called his father our father. Now we are fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, sisters and brothers. We refuse to be bitter. We refuse to have enemies. We refuse to use guilt and manipulation as means of control. We find freedom and forgiveness. We commit to one another in love. We call out the best in each other and we work through conflict to stay in a relationship. And uh, Alan says this all the time. Anytime somebody comes up and says, I thought we were supposed to be family. And he says to them, what is your family like? <laughs> Aren't they at least half as crazy as this family? And so uh, it's, a, it's a good eye opener for some, some folks. Uh, but Becky and I came here uh, in 2005, and uh, and the first three three weeks that we came, we just would sit there and just weep, and we'd look at each other and say, "Why are you crying? I don't know. Why are you crying? I don't know." Uh, and what what it was was uh, one, it was the the tangible presence of, of of the Lord, and another thing was just this beautiful interaction between people. It wasn't a stiff formality. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't, a, you know, a, a social club. It wasn't any of that kind of stuff. It was actual people loving each other, caring for each other, taking a vested interest in each other, rooting each other on. And, and the thing that got me the most excited was how y'all would, I'm going to say y'all because it was, I wasn't part of the group at that point. I was just feel, still felt to some degree like an outsider. But how y'all talk to each other and how y'all life over each other, how y'all called big things out of each other, 
how you held each other, how, how you, as Danny Silk uh, talks about, how you found the gold in each other. You didn't, you didn't just look at the dirt in the gold mine, but you found the gold in each other. And I thought, there's something about this family that I want to be a part of. It's something that draws to me. And it's just that prophetic culture. It's that affirming culture. It's that um, deep calling unto deep spirit, and, and it has to do with family. Alan says, when God created, he made a family. When God chose a people to represent him in the earth, he chose, a, he chose a family. He chose to magnify his life in that family, which became a clan, and then a group of tribes, and then a nation, but they still were all family. All the way through scripture, the family leadership is always parental. And of course, in the old covenant, it's largely patriarchal. In the new covenant, it's sons and daughters. Your sons and daughters prophesy. The model for how to do a covenant corporate life is that we're to relate to each other as a family. Even in the denominational church, we used to call each other brother and sister, and it was a kinship expression. But unfortunately, our church life together was modeled more after a corporation. So we all came out of a system where the church was run by public meetings and committees and by a board, and all of that reflected our culture, not our Bible. If we birth the life of the church from our Bible, we end up with fathers and mothers. And that's another thing that I love about the family model and the family culture as opposed to the corporate model is it involves all of us, right? The corporate model only involves the bosses and the, and the worker bees, right? The clergy and the laity. But the family model says, we need, we need, you, we need your voice as a mother. We need your voice as a father. We need your strength and zeal as a son and as a daughter. We need your visions and your dreams. And so we appeal to each other, and we all have an active role to play in the family. Alan says, everybody's family is making the best out of the mess they've made, and we stay together because we're blood and kin. We've built into our culture that this is a family rooted in forgiveness, and that's a basic core value. We've been forgiven, so we forgive. So you can't... You've heard the, 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 the phrase, the saying, that you can't choose your family. You're just born into it. And we hold, the same, we hold the same esteem and value for that commitment to one another. And it's not our thing to just uh, turn our backs on each other. We want to walk through things with each other when it's hard. We want to confront each other when we have to. We want to uh, receive confrontation when we're confronted. The corporate model of church is impersonal. It's production-oriented. It's conditional. And when you have conflict, it's usually a prelude to exit. In the kingdom of God, conflict is the door of intimacy. And now think about that next time you get into a conflict with someone. Don't think, oh my goodness, how am I going to you know, come out of this the strong and dominant one? Think about, think about what is our relationship going to look like when we walk through this in love and grace to one another? How much stronger and closer and deeper is our connection going to be after we seek the Lord together, after we humble ourselves and fight for one another, and fight to stay connected. All right. Now, it's a uh, Alan says there's a necessity of some corporate structure because we relate to the world in that way. But you'll notice in the Bible that the absence of votes, committees, boards, or elections. What you find is an emphasis on prayer, on seeking the Lord, on having common values, and on coming to consensus of what the Lord is saying. Mostly, if you look at the values of corporations, you don't see those in the Bible. And he didn't say this, but I'll throw this in. You see people casting lots. 
We don't do that enough. We need to cast lots more when we, when we have hard decisions to make. I'm just kidding. Let's not, let's not bring that back. And of course, the, uh, the scriptures we have, actually, I don't think I'll have time to, to read through all these because I have like three for each value, but um, John 20, 17, where Jesus calls his father our father. Uh, the beautiful passage in 1 Timothy where Paul talks about how to relate to older women and men and younger women and men as fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. And then this beautiful, beautiful verse, Romans 8, 14 through 17. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and have children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The next value is we pursue wholeness. How are we doing? Everybody okay so far? Okay. We pursue wholeness. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Uh, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, sozo is the Greek word, that which was lost. And beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. That's in 3 John. Uh, God is the healer. Or we pursue wholeness. God is the healer. We've got too many things going on. Nope. Uh, did you change it for me, John? I did that. Okay. All right. We pursue wholeness. God is the healer. We pray for the, the sick through the laying out of hands. We renew our minds to God's truth and are transformed. And we receive healing for emotional and spiritual wounds. We seek abundant life, holy living in the shalom, peace of Jesus. I preached several years back on the word shalom and what that meant, how all-encompassing it was. It's not just a word about the absence of conflict, but it's a word about relational, emotional, physical wholeness, uh, financial wholeness, all these things, every aspect of your life being whole and in a place of peace. And I encourage you guys to do a word study on that, uh, that word shalom. Um, but this word sozo, um, I know our, our friend Daniel is a, is a fan of the word sozo, his uh, Instagram account is I am sozoed. Uh, I am sozoed. And, and Daniel, God bless him, was that a bull snake or a rattlesnake? It was a bull snake. Okay. He was he was going St. Francis on a bull snake the other day and preaching peace to him. I saw this on an Instagram story and I was like, man, Daniel loves everything and everybody. It's such a beautiful thing. Um, and this word sozo, I, I've heard it a lot from Dan, uh, but the word means. Um, to be not when it says save, the word save is what we see in the scriptures. Is is this Greek word sozo, which has to do with healing, has to do with deliverance, has to do with salvation, has to do with all encompassing aspects of healing, not just physical, not just spiritual, not just mental, but everything. We believe in physical healing. Uh, Alan says emotional healing, and yes, spiritual healing. Spiritual healing healing means salvation, and your relationship with God gets set right. Emotional healing means resolution of trauma and pain through various means that were ruling your life and dealing with lies that you believed that made you seek escape. One of the things that's true about our church is we don't assume that getting saved and being made right with God means you've gotten rid of all the lies you're believing. The word for, sorry, the word for saved in the Bible is sozo. The usage of that word in the Gospels happens when someone comes to a right relationship with Jesus. When someone had tormenting powers broken and removed from their lives, they were sozoed. When someone's body was healed, they were sozoed. So salvation means saved from illness, saved from demonic powers, and saved from alienation from God. That's why we pursue wholeness. 
We want the whole person to experience the fullness of God. It's terrible to say someone is saved, but they're walking around like they don't know that God loves them. So they're desperately trying to prove themselves and desperately trying to be good enough to be included and anxious and unable to be generous and living as a hoarder because they don't trust God. All that can be healed. We have a healing culture because we want people to be well. I've heard Alan say on a number of occasions, and I, I love this, uh, New Life City is a great place to come and get well. And I've been part of churches, and maybe you have as well, where you needed to present yourself as, as having everything you needed when you showed up. Uh, you did not project any weakness. You did not project any deficits or anything like that. Can I get a witness back there? And, uh, and when, you, when you showed up, you had it all together. And, of course, inside you were crumbling. And inside, you're bottling up this anxiety and, and screaming and going, why am I the only one here that doesn't get it? And everyone's saying the same thing. And a little side note, I think it's important and worth mentioning because I've heard this a few times, and I really think it's important to say this and for y'all to hear this. New Life City does not have a standard of um, where you need to be on your road with Jesus. There's not a uniform place that we all need to be other than on the road with Jesus. That's what we want. But people are in different parts of the journey. And what I want to really encourage y'all with, because I've heard this expressed more times than I wish, and it's heartbreaking, is people say, I just don't, I don't receive the way. I wish I could receive the way that person does. Or I must not be doing something right because I, I, I don't get prophetic words. Or I don't, you know, people don't get healed when I pray for them or, or different things. I, I want you to hear this. When you come and you see somebody, like there are people in our church that have really obvious physical manifestations when the Spirit is moving on them, and some people that you cannot tell anything is happening, and yet they're having a rich encounter with the Lord. Please don't fall into that uh, trap of comparing yourself and saying, I don't have it. I'm not spiritual because I don't have, I'm not reacting the way that person is when they get prayed for, or I'm not worshiping the Lord as, with as much abandon as that person is. You have permission to be where you are on your journey with the Lord in this place and seek and pursue what you need from Jesus. Get the healing that you need from Jesus. Get sozoed from the Lord. Can I get another amen on that? Okay. And, and we're here to encourage you. So just look around and say, yeah, I can encourage these people. I can receive from them and I can give to them and we can, we can be a family together. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm rolling a whole bunch of different values into one. Uh, one more note I'll say on this value is that we have a variety of, of um, ministries with which to pursue healing that uh, we make available through this church. Um, we have ministry team where you can come and get prayer at the end of, your uh, end of the service. Of course, you're familiar with that. We have uh, the healing rooms that happens on the first Tuesday of the month at Holy Spirit night. You can come and if you have something that you want, a team of intercessors to just surround you and buffet you with prayer and go after healing with you, you can do that. That's a little more in-depth than what we offer with uh, kind of our briefer encounters at ministry time. And then we have things like uh, trans Transformation Prayer Ministry, TPM. We have a few people in the church that, that are um, trained in, in that. Any one of you uh, attend a TPM service or session before? Just a few of you, really. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, and I strongly recommend seeking that if you have uh, a need for healing. We have a... Um, um, a lot of other things as well. We have some counseling. We have 
uh, different types of, of prayer ministries as well. So we have a lot. And actually, one of the other things I'm working on um, is uh, meeting with the different leaders of healing ministries in our church to to compose or to at least put together a comprehensive description of what we offer at New Life City. Put that on our website so you guys know what to look for or how to refer other people to it. Um, your friends or coworkers that you you know are dealing with things and they need a healing touch from Jesus. All right, I'm cruising. Are, are we okay? Because I don't want to steamroll you. Okay, so far so good? All right, good. All right, the next value is we receive to give. Here comes the tithing sermon. No, I'm just kidding. It's not about that. You guys know it's not about that. The Christian life is receiving and giving. With grateful hearts, we receive from him and worship him with our lives. We impart to one another the spiritual gifts we have received and give time, strength, finances, and resources back to God and others in our region, our nation, and across the world. Alan says, when the Bible speaks of our lives, it speaks of a river. God says, I'm going to put a river in your innermost being, and out of you is going to flow that river. A life that's related to, some, to God is a life in the river, and it's something that we receive. Life is something that we receive. We didn't choose to be born. It's someone else's choice, and when we come from the womb, we receive breath. A child from a zero to two years old is a completely dependent creature for most of that time. They're learning to interact all of your young life is training with receiving because adulthood is giving. Maturity is learning to give. In the same way, with our spiritual lives, we receive instruction, we give instruction. We receive power, we release power. We receive gifts, we release gifts. We receive money, we release money. So the old analogy of the, uh, the body of water that only receives like an inlet flow from a river uh, is is a stagnant body of water. But if it also has an outlet, if it's able to give as well, then it's a healthy body of water and it has more health, more health and life to it, more health and life growing in it, living in it. And if you're only receiving, you, you know that drives you crazy. You, you feel it in yourself. You almost feel gluttonous sometimes. And you're like, oh, I don't know what's going on with me. I've heard it said so many times that the way to, to, to deal with even like mild depression or, or melancholy or whatever is to stop thinking about yourself and go think about somebody else. Volunteer to help out, join them, uh, join the, the one homeless ministry or go serve in a, in, a, in a food line or different things like that. Go and do something for someone else and next thing you know, you're feeling this is the way that life was designed to, to operate, not just to be a receiver, but to be a giver as well. And on the other side, if you're just a giver, that's not sustainable. If all you do is give, 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 then your well gets empty and you don't have anything else to draw from. And so we have to do both. We have to receive and we have to give. And um, it's funny, I, we had annual tithing sermons in the, in the churches that I grew up in. And, and I've never heard Pastor Allen uh, preach a tithing sermon. I've been a part of this church 14 years and I knew him in the Baptist church. Never heard him preach a tithing sermon in the Baptist church either. Although, in fairness... I wasn't a part of his church. I would only sneak over to his church every once in a while and hear him preach. Uh, but it's not about, that's not what we're doing. We're not, it's not a pledge drive or, a, you know, money-thon or anything like that. It's uh, giving is so much bigger than, than your pocketbook, so much bigger than your bank account. Giving has to do with your heart condition. It has to do with the time that you stop and, and give to a stranger or, or 
spend extra time with your child or whatever the case may be. Pray for a brother or a sister in need, different things like that. Um, giving of your resources, of your strengths, of your giftings. Um, I, I preached another sermon a while back about this, this concept, this thing called the Agape Feast. Have you ever heard of those before? The Agape Feast was a, an early church um, phenomenon where they would gather and have, have a meal where everyone brought something. It didn't matter your social status or your wealth or your lack of wealth. And usually some, some of the, the very wealthy benefactors of the, of the gathering would provide the bulk of the, of the food. But even those who had very little had dignity and had honor and felt like they were contributing when they brought things to the meal. And I would compare that to uh, my days in college when I would go to like uh, potlucks and I would say, I don't cook, but I can open a can of green beans and dump them into some Tupperware. And someone's going to like that. That won't be me, but someone's going to like that. And, uh, or I can, I can bring a can of Spam or whatever I have to do. But me showing up, even though somebody brought a turkey or an amazing casserole or something that took them you know, a full day to cook or whatever, and me, it took me a minute and a half, and half of that was looking for the can opener. Uh, I still showed up, and I said, yeah, I'm contributing. I'm feeding someone tonight. And so this idea of all of us being needed in the body of Christ to bless one another. Hebrews 10, 24 talks about each of you consider how to spur one another on to love and to good deeds, to be a nourishment to each other, to be a blessing to each other. All right. The art of spiritual life, Alan says, is learning to receive. Even the breath you breathe is a gift. And this is a value that over the years I keep seeing. And I said it one day. And when I said it, everyone bore witness with it. Receiving to give isn't my idea. It was something that has always been there. Jesus said it, by the way. Um, everything about life is receiving in order to give. And when a person is not giving, they're not well. He even talks about uh, people who are uh, not feeling well or they're feeling despondent or, or depressed and talking about when they give, they, can, they, they suddenly feel life coming back into them. All right. And then, of course, we have uh, that verse that Jesus said um, in Matthew 10, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. And I want to read this other verse too. This is uh, 2 Peter 1 through 3, or 1 Verse 3 in the Amplified. For his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. God does not skimp. God does not have to cut corners. God is the model of generosity, and he gives us things with, uh, with uh, lavish generosity. All right, the next value, this is value number five of seven. We're doing great. Uh, this is called, uh, this value is we love God's church. The local church is the front line of God's work on earth. We disciple, equip, and empower believers to walk in maturity with the Lord. We pray for life-giving churches to thrive in our cities. We support the local and global church. Now this is an interesting value, I think, and it's not, I would even say it's not a very common value that I've seen. I mean, surely churches value church. Uh, that's what they are, and of course that's the, the uh, organization that they're trying to perpetuate. But uh, in the body of Christ, you don't see this value as much. And I've, I've seen it uh, ebb and flow in, in my life. 
Um, I remember times where pe- everyone was in church, and then I remember times where there's, you know, people just kind of falling away, and eh, that's not really my thing anymore. I'm not sure that's for me. Um, it's, or, or, or of course, there are complaints about it, like it's not relevant, it's not, it's not valid. They're out of touch. They don't. They're a bunch of hypocrites. All those things. Um, now, there's Alan says there's probably a reason when people are upset at the church. He says there's probably a reason to be upset due to something that's wrong in the church, but there's also an enemy trying to destroy the church. I've wondered why the church is so hated. Is the church worthy of all that hatred? Is the family worthy of all that hatred? I look at my Bible and I say that all these things are foundational things that God gave to us. He says, when I got saved in the 70s, the culture was a lot like it is now. I loved Jesus, but I didn't like his church. But I didn't know why I didn't like it. I didn't have any reason not to like it. Anybody know that feeling before? Yeah. I don't know why I don't like the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, I do. I'm sorry. I do know why. You can tell Aaron about that later, Janelle. Um, I didn't know why I I didn't like it. I, I didn't have any reason not to like it, but church was an institutional expression of Christianity, so I was supposed to hate it. The Lord spoke to me and said, when you love the church the way I love the church, then you will know how to love your wife. And he used this scripture, uh, Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Obviously, Jesus has a great love for the church. And the things that Jesus loves are things that I want to love. The people that Jesus loves are people that I want to love. This is foundational. Alan says this, we have a love for the church and we want to build a love for the church inside of people because we think it will create a love for God and a love for family. If you value what God values, then your life would be built up. And it gives this anecdote about, about he and Gail. When I got married, I found out that if I wanted my wife to change on something about something, demanding her to change was the wrong approach. I had to love her into change. God put that value in me and I want to put it inside people a value for church. The ugliness of the church doesn't keep you from loving the church. The wounds of the church don't keep you from loving the church. We're on a mission to be in his church and love his church. It's a deep value for us, and therefore we don't abandon the project of establishing communities that are called churches. I never call the building the church. The church is the people. Now, I again, I understand the backlash, um, I pay attention to the culture. I've got a lot of friends that are not saved. A lot of people, I have a lot of friends, um, I'm sad to say, that have professed professed Christ but are going through this this real heavy-duty rejection of of anything that looks like old-school Christianity. And I'm not trying to, you know, tout traditions of man or anything like that. Um, But but you've heard the, the term deconstruction, and that's something that's happening in the in the culture about church, like, what do we need this? It's a bunch of, uh, you know, pompous old white guys telling us what to do, and they're out of touch. And a lot of times they're absolutely right. And they can make a good case for why. Um, but when you look at the scripture, when you look at the, the way the gospel message not only was spread, communicated uh, in, in little pockets of friends and family and communities, but also the absolute vital necessity that humans have for connection and relationship with one another. Even if you're the most extreme introvert, you still have that need for connection. And, and this concept of the church being a body, 
And what does your body do when it gets sick? What, do you, what does your body do when you have a scratch or a cut? Uh, it sends all the, the white blood cells to, to fight off any possible infection. And you're, you, sometimes you get a fever to deal with any kind of thing that's trying to make you sick. And, and um, the, the body rallies to heal itself and to, and to strengthen itself. And that's an analogy I've always loved about what church is for us. And sadly, a lot, like I said earlier, a lot of the, place, the, the places I've experienced my church life, uh, you didn't let on that you were sick, and therefore nobody could rally to you. Um, and so I preached Sunday morning in a church up in Santa Fe. A friend of mine invited me up there. And I preached a sermon that I preached to y'all, and I didn't hear any of the comments from y'all that I heard from them. They came up to me and said, I've never heard such a vulnerable, a vulnerable sermon in my entire life. And I'm like, oh, that, that would have barely gotten any kind of a, a, a sniffle from New Life City. They're so used to this. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're free to be you here. You're free to be open. You're free to show us the process that you're in walking with the Lord and getting, getting what you need from him. And, and it, was, it was an amazing experience because I prayed for probably, all told, they had two services, and I probably prayed for 15 or so people that came up to me and told these heart-wrenching stories about things that they've gone through and things that they've experienced. And honestly, and I say this with respect and reverence, I felt like a priest and a confessional. Because they, these are things it seemed like they didn't really want to let other people know about. Well, since you said some of your struggles, since you mentioned your own, let me tell you this. But I just saw the heaviness that they carried. And that's heartbreaking. Church, that's not what we're supposed to be. That's not how we're supposed to be. And so praise God that we have New Life City. But also praise God that we have, um, it's not a building. It's a bunch of people that are mobile that can scatter and take it wherever they go, take it to their neighborhoods, take it to their families, take it to their workplaces and their schools and their grocery stores and all those places and take this love of God and look for these opportunities to be a blessing. And then you give and you give and you give and you come back and you're like, whew. And then you get, you get it back. You get filled up again. Thank you, Lord, for that. And this is what church is. This is what the body of Christ is. This is how it's supposed to function. That's why we love it, and because God loves it. The next value is we seek God's kingdom. The kingdom has come and is coming, and we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Our congregation is one piece of the kingdom puzzle, one brick in the structure. We follow King Jesus who showed us that the last are first, and those who love their lives save them. Sorry, those who lose their lives save them. And the greatest in the kingdom are the servants of all. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Romans 14.17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Bill, I'm going to put you on notice in, in a little bit. I'm going to have you come up and play a song, if you would, just something for for us to just get in touch with the Lord with. So thank you. Alan says um, about this value, we are church people and we are kingdom people. Some would ask what the difference is. The church is a local expression of the kingdom. Anybody who is being ruled by God is in the kingdom. A local group of people who are covenanted together in Jesus is a church. 
And there's no antipathy between church and kingdom. It's not one or the other. You don't have to choose. They're the same. They, they represent the same thing and they're under the same banner of, of uh, the Lord God Almighty. What the kingdom does in part is keep us from having a political spirit. This is really key. The political spirit is everywhere and it's especially harsh in America. The political spirit is a set of values that gets bundled together and presented as a coherent whole that demands our allegiance. We want to be a people who say, our allegiance is already given. Jesus is Lord. America is not Lord. Our kingdom loyalty exceeds our national identity. And this keeps us from the sin of nationalism, which is a violent spirit that causes us to devalue and even kill people for the sake of our expression of sovereignty. Seeking God's kingdom means that we want God's rule. That was, a, that was an awkward place for a pause, huh? That was real heavy. It was like, get on to the next thing. Seeking God's kingdom means that we want God's rule everywhere. What it doesn't mean is coercing people to behave themselves. The political spirit gets us to coerce people to behave in a certain way, regardless of which political party you belong to. Either you'll do it with taxes or you'll do it with moral codes, but you're going to get people to behave the way you want them to. It's an external coercion of conformity, and that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom is an internal witness of God within us that transforms us. It doesn't conform us. Um, I love that Danny, how Danny Silk talks about um, the inability we have to control other people. Uh, on our best day, we can barely control ourselves. You know, if you're, you're a strong person, you're a powerful person, if you can say, you don't need a second double chocolate muffin. Double chocolate. And, you know, I'm able to do that most of the time. I, I'm strong like that. I'm usually able to turn down the second chocolate muffin. Uh, and so when we try and coerce others, when we try and get them to, uh, to change, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't produce the fruit of the results that we're looking for. And that's not what we're trying to do. But the, but the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a remarkable thing because those who are listening to the Spirit are always in constant communication with the King, right? And He gives us our marching orders. And it's always funny to us, we get surprised like, oh my goodness, God's been saying the same thing to me. That, and that baffles us somehow. And yet we go, He must be the same God. We must be in the family together. And of course, when we break it down like that, it's funny. Uh, but it, it's remarkable that we keep, you know, seeing these moves of God where um, it's not just one pocket of uh, a people group here or this city over here where revival is breaking out. God's, God's doing moves all over the place and the people, when people are stepping in and, and listening and responding to the king, that's when we start to see these things uh, you know, start to connect in our minds like, okay, God's up, up to something. The church is a local expression of a translocal reality. Of the apostles, I regard Paul as the father of the church. And if you'll notice what Paul did, he went where the Jews were and proclaimed that the king had come. Their Messiah had come. So he preached the kingdom by preaching the king. And every time he did, a community of those who believed the message emerged from the synagogue in the community, and it would be Jew and Gentile. So there would not be antipathy between kingdom and church for Paul. Every church would be an expression of the kingdom. Same thing. Uh, just this, this uh, common bond, this unity that people fall into. You know, when you're in a situation where you're, not, where you're with strangers and 
and you find a familiar face, there's so much comfort and relief uh, that happens. You know, we went to the Convoy of Hope a few weeks ago, and, and it was it just last week, I think. Um, and, and going in there, and there's all kinds of people, and then you see some of your own people, and you're like, oh, it's so good to see you, even though this is all the kingdom of God. Uh, but that, that comfort of finding someone who uh, values what you value, who, who uh, listens to this, the same good shepherd that you listen to, and that's someone that can, can pray for you, to, can encourage you, can lift you up, can edify you. Uh, that's the kingdom. God's dominion over us works in a counter-human way. Preservation is not done by external means of power, but by laying down our lives. This is the upside-down value of the kingdom of God. I have no value for preserving what I have done as a human being because it's not mine, it's his. Because of that, I don't have to worry that when I'm gone, things will be as I set them in order. They won't be, nor should they be. They'll be different because I'll turn them loose. I won't hold on to them, I'll turn them loose. So we die to live like a seed. Amen? All right, and finally, the last value is that we are a habitation for the Holy Spirit. The Lord is welcome to move among us without restriction and to dwell in our midst. Yes, even now, Lord. We do not want to quench the move of the Holy Spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth. We operate in the gifts of the Spirit, and we listen for his voice and prompting. Alan says this, we're a habitation for the Holy Spirit. This brings us back to where we started. It's a loop, like putting on a ring. We started by saying we're a presence-driven church, and we've ended with a value that monitors have we become corporate. We were born in revival, and revival means something had died, and it came back to life. What had died? In the church, what always dies is the charismata. What always tends to die is the expression of the miraculous gifts of God. We come to this last value to recognize that if no one is prophesying, no one is being healed, no miracles are happening, then it's time to say there's something wrong. The signal that something is wrong isn't that someone has left the church or that the money has dipped. When we're not seeing things that can't be done without the presence of God, that's when something is wrong. So we're about the business of crying out for God to manifest himself. We've been a church for a long time, and I think we can get to a place where we make a routine out of the way we function so we have to say, God, we need you to blow on us again. Surprise us. Move in our midst in a way that unsettles us a little bit. A visitation, as con contrasted with a, a habitation, is we had a day and the Lord moved, us, moved among us powerfully. But habitation means that we expect every time we gather and everywhere we go that we will be in the Spirit. We expect to carry the river with us. Anyone who's lived in that presence, when you go into a church without it, you describe it this way. It was dead. You don't just mean emotionally quiet or demonstrably quiet. You mean people are just going through the motions because they know how to do it. Form always stands ready to replace substance. We develop forms of worship that serve us well when the power has departed. That is why revival must always be cherished. There's always a call to stir up the gifts within us or to bring back to life the fire that is dimmed. Visitation is the normal path of the church, but every believer is a walking habitation. The Spirit of God lives, abides, resides, and dwells within us. Thus we are the habitation of God, and the corporate awareness of that habitation is what we revive. We have not seen this without measure, but we seek that day. We long for it as the new day longs for the sun to shine. 
Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And 1 Peter 2, 5, You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Yesterday I had a really cool opportunity to go. Uh, I was invited by a, a, ch- a church in town who has a, a worship team internship. And they uh, have a relationship with a couple of the worship pastors at that church. And they asked me to come over and talk to, to uh, their interns. There's one intern, but uh, it's going to grow. Uh, and then they were asking questions as well. So I was talking to, at one point, four or five people, and it was fun. Um, but the question was to do with um, the question. I don't remember the exact question, but it set up this concept of uh, striving or doing, kind of doing things that you just know how to do, but there doesn't seem to be a move of God accompanying it, or there doesn't the presence of God doesn't seem to be um, strong on that moment. And, and this is what Alan referred to in this, in this passage about these forms that we, we latch on to. And I'm going to give you maybe too much information about like being the worship leader at this church. And there are times where I go, okay, what do we need now? We need, we need a um, reckless love moment right now. We need people to like pounding their fists in the sky and like, you know, singing at the top of their lungs and that kind of thing. So let's call it reckless love or whatever. And I'm not I'm not, not to say anything about songs that really stir us in that way, but there are times where we say, okay, this song's not working. Let's go to something that we do know works. Um, what's a big hit? What's a fan favorite? It's just like when I'm cooking, which I don't do, and I go, who wants to go get some pizza? And the girls are like, yeah, then I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hero, even though I'm a lousy cook. Um, and instead of like pressing in and trying to do a good job and trying to figure out like, okay, what can I, what can I do? Of course, this is a, a, a analogy that's going to break down on many levels as, as, as me, me cooking. Because really what I want, I want to be in that place of like, I can't do this. I need a miraculous intervention. I need Becky to come home early and step in. And that's, that's what I need. That's what we need in this church. Uh, we need the Lord to step in. We need the Lord to show up. We need the Lord to do the things that he, he wants to do when we're gathered, when two or more are gathered in his name. And he's moving among us in this tangible and beautiful way. And so we don't want to just go into a default mode and say, we can do this well, okay? We know how to play our instruments. We know how to transition well. We know if we go from this song to this song, people are going to lose their minds. Even if they're not feeling it in the spirit, they'll feel it in their emotions. And that's close enough. And we're not intentional like that, but I'm just saying that's, that's, how, that's how you can get into that pattern if you're just relying on your own ability, just relying on whatever you can muster on your own. And that's not what we want. That's not what we want as a church. We don't want Alan to get up and preach a, just a stunning biblical exhortation message which he's great at and not have the holy spirit show up we don't want to do our play our songs and and have them be amazing if the holy spirit doesn't show up i've heard alan say if we show up and god doesn't what are we doing here 
you know? Um, and of course, take that phrase lightly because the Lord is always among us and he's always with us. But you know what I mean? If we're not here to seek the Lord, to hear his voice, what are we doing? I mean, there are other things we, we'd all rather be doing than getting up out of bed early on a Sunday morning or, or at the end of the day on Saturday unless there's something here that only happens when the presence of God moves among his people.